for May 15th, 2023. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 776. You gotta have an aggro crag. Hey, it's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when each of us are designating a champion and having them go to battle against each other in the Thunderdome of, uh, wait, no, Dome, Velodrome, Thunderdome, uh, ET phone home. We didn't start the fire. I'm a little loopy today. I I haven't slept a lot. Why? Because yesterday was Eurovision. And so we each identify a champion and we send them to, to do battle in a giant arena of, uh, of pyrotechnical effects, uh, pyrotechnical pop music, uh, glitter sequins, uh, fabulous diva performances and, um, all manner of all manner of things European. The the inescapable Graham Norton and the very welcome Hannah Waddingham, uh, Rebecca from Ted Lasso, who is I think I, I think Ted Lasso has given her a like a career renaissance, and it's fantastic to see all the things that she has been doing, uh, like hosting uh, I think the Olivier Awards and uh, uh, hosting hosting the Eurovision Grand Final. Um, so uh, the yeah Eurovision was this week. What what is Eurovision? You ask. I I will tell you that. But first, let me tell you who is with me, Matt Rather. I have uh, Pete Fe- rep- representing representing Ireland and Germany. I have Pete Fenzel. <laughs> Pete. Cheers, Matt. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, thank you for resolving the, the Kerrygold butter. That is, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't misidentify you, right? Those are oh, the, no, that's the, accurate. That, at, main, least, at least in terms of European ancestry, sure. Yep. The, the main, yeah, exactly, of, of your, your uh, European descent. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, thank you very much uh, on, to, to you and the entire nation of Ireland for, uh, for resolving the Kerrygold butter situation. Uh, it was a yet again. Uh, the stability of Europe is supported by Ireland getting crapped on. <laughs> <laughs> Us being good is just not something people can tolerate. Jedward had to be stopped. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin the turkey made an made an appearance in one of the the semifinals. Uh, that's that. I if you know, you know. I guess on that. Yeah, that's one. the name I haven't heard in a long, long time. Representing South Korea and the state of Alabama, it's Mark Lee. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm just a regular PSA reminder that if South Korea were admitted into Eurovision to compete, they would crush it because of K-pop, you know, and their whole (laughs) national industrial complex of incredibly catchy pop music combined with extravagant dance presentation. Um, Not if the juries had anything to say about it. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Spicy takes incoming. Sorry, I'm jumping the gun. I'm jumping the gun. Eurovision is an annual music contest. We've been covering it on Overthinking It since 2008. Can you can you believe that? Uh, largely because Matt Belinky has has a, just a really unhealthy obsession with it. <laughs> just like I, you know, um, but has has frankly dragged a lot of us into the fandom. Uh, you know, it, whether it was kicking and screaming or or you know rolling our eyes indulgently uh, initially. Now it's you know with with genuine enthusiasm 
women with something that is, uh, at least among Americans, something that approaches expertise because we have watched it so much more than, uh, than anyone, uh, than any, uh, any, you know, uh, other Americans that we know, except I don't, maybe there's some diehards there. We, we, for a little while, were, were organizing and promoting the biggest, uh, Eurovision grand final watch party in New York. In Herald Square, and uh, though COVID sort of put an end to those days, we continue to do the coverage uh, online on our YouTube channel, which has an entirely different... (laughs) entirely different audience than the uh, website, you know, pot and podcast that we started uh, 15 years ago. This is, you know, it, it has just become like a Eurovision reviews channel, which is sort of bizarre, yeah. but uh, like, you know, in the middle of all this, like we put Blinky put out a pretty good and very nerdy star Wars video about like uh fun tube slides inside of the death star, uh-huh. right? Classic overthinking it sort of stuff that you would expect uh, to have read on the website back when we published articles. It got like hundreds of views, like sure. nothing. Right. And then meanwhile, like, you know, these, uh, they're just, you, you guys are dropping real numbers with these Eurovision videos. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. Like he does something views, like you have, like there's, there's a, a large following of people. Um, and God bless you all for doing it because they're, they're God bless you for making them. And God bless all of you fine people of Europe, uh, you know, the Eurovision diehards are watching that. Um, uh, that's great. And uh, I hope some of you come up or are listening to this as well, too. Like, you know, that Venn diagram audience, like, please email us, talk to us in the discord. Love to hear from you. Yeah. That, well, it's great. So, so what is Eurovision? Eurovision is an annual song contest. It was started in, uh, I think the 1950s in, in the wake, uh, of sort of post World War II kind of, um, rebuilding. And the, the idea was to kind of reestablish, you use cultural, use this cultural event to kind of reestablish bonds of friendship, uh, among European nations. And, you know, that's, uh, that has sort of continued, um, to this day and that it is a, uh, it is a contest r- largely centered around the idea of togetherness and, and, you know, unity through music. In fact, the theme of, of, uh, this year's contest was like united by music or united through music. This, this is hard to say with a straight face when one of the competitors, uh, invades one of the other competitors <laughs> and, uh, you know, conducts a, a brutal land war in, um, in their territory. But, you know, uh, uh, more to that, la- more about that later. So, so what happens is that every country in Europe, and it has been ex- expanded to mean every country in the European Broadcasting Union and also Australia, who were invited a few years ago just because, um, uh, set, identifies through national selections and sends one song, one singer singing a song to the, uh, Eurovision, um, contest, right? And, and, uh, you, all, all the songs are sung on stage. There's semifinals that weed out some of the, uh, the lowest performers. And then, um, you know, on, on stage, you hear, uh, 26 individual entries in, in the grand final, uh, national juries uh, vote uh, each country can send a certain number of points to you know to the competitors you can't vote for yourself so you know um there is a jury vote process weighted equally with a televote process which is american idol like where you call in or text in or you know go to a website or something like that and again the the uh 
the votes are organized by jury so that you can't, uh, sorry, are organized by country so that you can't vote for yourself. And, um, you know, each, so each country has a, assigns points in a particular way to the, to the other countries. You can, um, you know, uh, assign, I think it's, I think it's 12, 10, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 for the, you know, first, second, third, et cetera, place in, uh, in that order. And then the, the, they're tallied up and the, the winner, the winner wins. So the, the, uh, the, the important thing about this is that there are juries of music industry professionals, right? Who vote on, uh, who vote on the songs. And then there is a popular vote, um, which is, you know, in this kind of, uh, it has, you know, particular constraints in terms of how points are awarded, right? Like, it's not like, you know, a, a populist country can override. It's, it's more like the Senate rules, like every, the U.S. Senate, every country counts the same, has the same, uh, amount of points to dole out in the, in the same way. But there's a popular vote, uh, part of this as well. The, um, the jury vote, had been part of the uh, original um, contest. And the idea was that these were like, you know, high society people. These were like, uh, you know, experts, women and men of letters or of, of breeding or of, you know, exquisite taste or something like that. Whose, whose, you know, taste, uh, whose elite taste outstripped the taste of the, the general public. This, this went away for sort of egalitarian reasons. And then it was reinstated in uh i think 2008 or after 2008 because the western european nations who had you know formerly been cleaning up in the contest uh they objected to block voting among the former soviet republics or among the um eastern european you know among among the nordic countries the the uh there were there were you know bonds of kind of cultural affinity among nearby countries and uh you know so so they were boosting each other up and uh you know uh, France, Germany, Italy, Spain and England who are the big 5 uh who actually get a buy out of the semis into the main uh, final as does the winner of last year's contest felt like they you know they they couldn't compete and that the the formerly ironclad integrity of this you know cultural institution was um was imperiled so the jury voting uh was reinstituted with juries counting for half of the vote and uh of half of the total and the the popular vote counting for half of the total the way that that this is operationalized is that the juries in the popular vote have the same number of points to dole out among the same you know 36 countries who this year 36 countries who participated so that's uh that's a little bit uh that's a little bit of the uh, of the background i feel like i'm i'm not sure if i made a real dog's breakfast of Matt- that yeah are you telling me that a song contest that is uh, riven with high idealism about cooperation and peace is actually horribly tainted with many of the same political problems that have plagued the continent of Europe for like the last century? Is that what you're telling me, Matt? You you would not believe it. It is marvelous in the telling, and I'm sure marvelous in uh, in the hearing. But yes, mm. that is what mm. I am here to tell you. Oh, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Um, shocked to find that no, that inequality it, is going on in this establishment. I, 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 you're going to get to it, Matt. But like, just in case you're wondering where this is all headed, like the jury and popular vote is, is very important to what happened, what went down 
with this is your your vision and like I, I mean let's this is overthinking right we can we can go on in a limb right it speaks to a lot of other um societal phenomenon uh um was kind of split like you know the expert versus the the um the, the popular opinion um but the, we, we can go on to that should we, should we just kind of round it out and just like say what happened this year european carnage mark european mm. carnage <laughs> yes is what happened you know our cities are burning i uh i mean some of them are yes to be clear i mean that's it's funny it's not funny it's it's uh not not funny what do i mean strange i don't know pete do you do you have anything to to say about this I, i'm not sure if i explained the the voting uh i don't think it well. matters I think for if if you don't know what Eurovision is, suffice it to say it's a really popular kind of American Idol show that happens in Europe, and all the countries pick the best song that they like the most, and everything else is is kind of uh, is gravy. Like if you're if you're interested in that as the concept, and the idea that this is a really big deal, right? I mean, there was a Will Ferrell movie about it. I feel like it's becoming more widely known. When we started talking about it, I wouldn't say that we are more into it than anybody I know in the U.S., but like way more than the median. You know, uh, have we been into it than than the average uh, the average uh, person? Do you just have weird friends, Pete? Yeah, sure. I was in the theater for a long time. I thought you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, I think we have some of the same friends. I I'll say my the first Eurovision parties I went to weren't hosted by you <laughs> or by us. You know, they were hosted by other people. Um, because it's also like very popular among uh, among gay people because it's very campy and kind of ostentatious and and. Of course, in glammy at times, and uh, not that that's sort of any sort of characteristic personality-wise, but there's artistic traditions that appeal, right? Uh, a sort of outsider mentality to go into this sort of outside, other land of, you know, uh, popularity. Things that are, seem self-evidently popular to people thousands of miles away seem new and kitsch to us, but at the same time, old. Uh, but I think I haven't really kept up with how much it's changed over the years. You know, I I watch the videos of the for the individual songs. But I don't oh, have that history. That's nice, Pete. I, you but hear me talking in your ear so much that you would that you would engage in more me talking in your ear voluntarily. No, yeah. no, no. I mean, I, I watch the songs. I don't watch the show. I guess is what I'm saying is like I used to watch the show more because I would go to the big parties, and the big parties for me were always associated with like certain sets of people. And the less that I was hanging out in kind of either student or bohemian or urban environments. Like the less I was around people who were getting together to watch Eurovision, in which case the sense of party was a little bit lost. I did get and this is also because I moved away. I moved away from the rest of you guys in 2005. And, you know, it's not like I'm going to a big Eurovision party here in Boston. Right. Like uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure they exist. But it's more that um, I did get to visit the New York City party like once or twice. And it was so fun. The party that you guys threw there. The, the, um, the notoriously the notoriously tolerant uh, city of Boston. You don't. There, there, were, <laughs> there weren't Eurovision parties everywhere. I don't think intolerance is the characteristic I would attribute to attribute to Boston. I would say more. Um, I mean, I did describe it when I first moved here. It doesn't feel that way anymore. But when I first moved up here, I described it as uh, as a place to go if you want to hear music from your freshman year of high school everywhere. <laughs> right. It was just like like Pearl Jam being played in public places like all the time. Though this was back in two thousand five, two thousand six. You know. Only only 10 years after Pearl Jam's big popularity, not, you know, 25, 30 as we are now. But um, but the point being that that through the years of Eurovision, there's been a lot of change as to what's been good, what's been bad, what's won, what's lost. 
And you can go into talking about the voting systems and how they affect what it is. But I feel like you have to have a certain amount of pre-existing interest to care about the voting systems. The stories of how things changed, even if the cause is the voting system, might make more intuitive sense than going into the voting system itself. You know, so the idea that there was a point at which all of the the all of the uh, songs that were winning were winning because lar- groups of small countries uh, were voting for each other, sure. right? And and like that was what was winning. And then the the countries that were really big, but you know, the countries that successfully culturally genocided all their minor languages, right? like in the uh, 18th and 19th centuries, they uh, end up with fewer Eurovision votes. So they get pissed at the countries that didn't genocide all of their other languages until the 20th century, right? <laughs> and uh, uh, in which case they're more fragmented and there's a larger number of them. Um, hey, basically, Pete, you'll be, you'll be yeah. glad to know that that's this year's entry from Spain uh, contained a lot of like Galician and, oh, really? uh, you know, Galician, oh, awesome. Galician folk music. Yeah. Spain was one. Spain was one that I, I think should have had a better jury result uh, than it did. But I'm, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. a little. If, bit. if we're also talking about like, you know, the broad stories of Eurovision before we, and then I think we should go and talk about specifically the 2023 yeah. contest. It's like the the kitchen weird quality of the music and the performances seem to dominate right in um like the what the 2000s and going into the 2010s and then the pendulum seems to have swung the other way back towards a more uh, a mainstream i don't know like let's uh, 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 matt you, you rather you you did all the videos for this like like what's the correct vocabulary to talk about um the stylistic trend well uh, yeah there's been i mean it it combines a number of different things, and they all exist in kind of like beautiful, productive uh, tension in a in a kind of detente, you know, with with one another. These styles, right? So one thing that you have in Europe is Sweden, right? <laughs> <laughs> and Sweden is a force for like Sweden is is the proto South Korea, you know. Uh, the but yes, before yeah, yeah, before. Before South Korea came along, uh, like Sweden had to sort of invent modern pop music with with Max Martin in the the late '90s and and early part of this century. Uh, before Korea could come uh, come along and uh, and perfect it, right? And that's uh, so so there is a mainstream pop um, homogenous kind of dance sound. Right. That is one strain of of Eurovision and the that sort of that sound and the performers who do that sound um, represented, I think, by Sweden in this year's contest. The most like uh, that is that is one strain. Then there is the the kind of the uh, cultural pride folk music um you know, super specific kind of strain of entry that gets put into Eurovision. Those don't tend to, to, well, I mean, the thing is every now and again, it, it changes, right? Like the, the, the pendulum swings or the wheel of fortune turns. So there are, there are these trends, but like really it's, it's cyclical. So sometimes, you know, those songs, uh, sometimes those songs do, do really well. Um, and then there is a kind of like weird, uh, there is sort of a, uh, like stunt kind of, um, a thing that, that does very, very well. Uh, 
you know, um, who, oh, where, where was Conchita from? Conchita versed a. She's from, she's from Austria. Austria, yeah. A drag performer. A better example would probably be Lordy that well, won sure. Eurovision in 2006 with uh, Hard Rock Hollywood, like the, the monster rock. So yeah, I wanted thing. to, I wanted to hold up three. One, one was Conchita versed who was a drag performer singing a, a pretty straight ahead ballad and actually like totally murdering a, uh, a ballad called rise like a phoenix um that was wonderful but a drag performer who performed with a beard uh on their face and so that was the um you know kind of the the unusual part of that lordy who were a like uh like guar or something like a monster hard rock uh or heavy metal or i i don't know mark generically how do i how to identify lordy but yeah, just hard rock sure yeah uh, who sang a song called hard rock hallelujah wearing uh horror movie worthy monster makeup you know and uh and whole getups. And then the third is um, Florian Cesar Owatu of Romania, who is a contratenor, which is the, the like the male vocal range that sings in the, like the female mezzo soprano range. So um, he was dressed like a vampire <laughs> being from Romania uh, and uh, and sang this uh, sang this song in this this incredibly high sort of uh, operatic uh, operatic style in a you know bejeweled like high collared um, kind of bodysuit sort of uh, sort of get up if memory serves correctly so that's you know that that's the kind of the the stunt um, strain and then more recently there is a rock and roll strain and we actually did a video about this uh this year on the channel about the kind of the the uh you know the kind of the varieties of rock and roll that that come to eurovision that seem to kind of ebb and flow in terms of how well they did but the rock band uh moniskin won a couple years ago and then went on to like international success opening for the Rolling Stones appearing on American late night shows like uh, you know crossing over globally in a way that um, not all Eurovision winners I mean that very few Eurovision winners uh, managed to do and and no one style dominates for too long which is one of the things that makes it uh, that makes it really exciting. It's not like the best, you know, Max Martin produced pop song is going to always just run the table every, uh, every single year. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that, that makes it fun. Does that make sense, Mark? I mean, does that, does yeah, that do yeah, justice yeah, yeah. to what you wanted to get out there? It does. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, like to boil down 2023, uh, is results. It came down to two songs. One is the exemplar of the Max Martin Sweden style from, you guessed it, Sweden. Um, sung by a former Eurovision winner, right? The, her song Euphoria, I think, also did break through internationally in, in a way that the, 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 a few Eurovision songs do. And then, is it fair to say that Finland's Cha 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 song is of the stunt variety? I think it is. Yeah, I'm I think so. And, and, and so it's yeah, not, not a stunt. So, so what happened? It's pretty, it's pretty wild. So Sweden, S- Sweden sent um, a repeat. A, a, a Sweden sent a woman named Lore and. Uh, and I, I've been corrected. The, the Europeans are not shy about like finding my contact information and correcting my pronunciation, uh, about everything. But, uh, Lorraine was, um, uh, a winner with a song called Euphoria from Sweden, uh, a while back, 10, 10 years ago ish or more, a dozen years ago. And she, um, returned this year 
to uh, with a song called Tattoo that was a pretty straight ahead pop song. Um, a, a, a good staging. She's a she, you know she's an interesting she's an interesting artist. A, a lot of the music that she does is I, I would call un undistinguished or undifferentiated, but like she does. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. There, there's an excellence in pop song Ness and, and a lot of her songs exemplify it, but she has a super arty kind of delivery uh, that is, uh, that involves like a, an idiosyncratic style of dance, mostly that, um, and, and really long, uh, really long nails. Um, fingernails in the video for the song tattoo that she entered this year. So it was like, it was kind of like, um, I don't know. Uh, uh, the rock has come back to new Haven, you know, is how it felt <laughs> for, uh, for La- Lauren to be coming back to Eurovision with the, uh, with the, the song tattoo. And she was an early, she was an early favorite in the, like the bookmakers who, you know, uh, calculate odds on these on these particular things. But then out of nowhere, Finland comes, yeah, with this kind of weird song called uh Cha Cha Cha. Um that is uh you know that it's a rock rap song that kind industrial of industrial techno Yeah that's like that's fair to say segues into a dance pop song at about the like 65% mark and it just set the world on fire like everyone loved this song that it was so and so crowd pleasing uh you know the performer was so kind of winning um and had a ridiculous outfit yeah you, very very you, memorable a ridiculous outfit as well as, as his backup singer what, what would you call backup that dancers. thing it's like a it's like a shirt but without the 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 torso part of the shirt so it's, it's like the, puffy sleeves and yeah. also black spiky accoutrement it's like a you it's like a like a carnival like a uh south american carnival um get up more than anything else right like the puffy yeah. you know uh, Pete, I don't know. Do you have do you have a better description of it than I'm I'm struggling to find? Upper body chaps, <laughs> <laughs> neon green upper body chaps. Yeah, right. like he's gonna ride a horse with his hands. <laughs> yeah, <they're neat. laughs> and he's also a pirate. <laughs> so, and this like this song set the world on fire. It was it was. Um, like enormously, it was enormously popular. So the. Um, so uh, and then like no one, no one else really came close in in terms of the odds. Uh, my, my there there were a lot of other notable entries I think from a creative point of view. My favorite were uh, the band Let Three from Croatia, uh, who had a song called Mama, uh, which is um uh the the verse was Mama Krupila Traktora, Mama Krupila Traktora. Uh, if if my Croatian is you know if, if pronunciation is correct, uh, which means Mama bought a tractor. Um, which if you follow the uh, if you follow the whole chain of geopolitical associations in this means uh, uh, is essentially saying uh, Russia is in control of Belarus. <laughs> That's the you know the uh, and uh, it it was performed by a. Um, like a, a performance art, a decades old performance art theater collective uh, called 
called Let Three that is also a very popular rock band in Croatia who does these kind of like performance arty, uh, you know, slightly stunty, um, art project type of records, which, which sell very well. Also, you know, active in the theater, um, culture of Croatia, uh, and a lot of this, you know, and, and wrote this sort of anti-war protest song. Um, and, uh, and they, they're delightful. Like I, I, I love the like, uh, you know, I don't know, sexagenarian, uh, uh, progenitors of Mama Sche, uh, the name of the, the song. And I love their, you know, anarchist, uh, alienating performance art collective. I feel like, I feel like they, my unlived life is as a member of this, uh, as a member of this collective and band. So they, they were There's still time, Matt. There's still time. <laughs> I know. It's great. It's, um, the just waiting, just waiting for that, waiting for that one big startup idea to pay off, Mark, and then I can sell everything and and uh, head to Croatia and live off of my, <laughs> uh, live off of my investments and make songs about how capitalism is destroying the earth. <laughs> but the uh, they they were my favorite. These guys, I, I I mean, I loved it. I loved it. I I really loved everything about it. And so they have like the the like the the weird the thing about them was like, are they going to drop their pants on stage? You know, are they going to do some kind of like super disruptive um, thing? And and though they did uh, though though they did disrobe to a certain extent, not they did not disrobe one hundred percent. And that was uh, you know, but I I feel like the, them being there, them being in this extraordinary commercial highly slick you know produced thing was uh was wonderful but uh you know to my to my comrades in let three i say uh but um yeah man that 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 was great uh there there were another there were another great ones like like french sent the franchiest french song that has ever franched uh called evidemment uh, that was, um, you know, in the kind of the, like the Edith Piaf tradition, uh, but with a, with a sick dance beat, um, you know, uh, Italy sent rock and roll again, uh, Israel sent a, a pretty, uh, a pretty like aggro, like dance pop kind of, uh, kind of song with a, um, excellent dance break, like a very, uh, you know, uh, exciting dance break, um, I don't know who else, who else was pretty. I liked, uh, I liked Belgium a lot. Uh, Belgium sent a, a song that was, uh, uh, performed by an extraordinarily campy and flamboyant performer, um, in the like kind of a soul, uh, like an American soul style. Uh, they, they were really, really wonderful. But, but as far as the contest was concerned, it came down to Sweden and Finland. They they were the only ones that were really going to garner all all of the votes. And the way the way it works is that uh, the um, the jury votes are announced first, country by country, and and each country gets a you know the public broadcaster in each country. Uh, imagine such a thing gets on the. Um, uh, on the screen and announces the jury votes from, from their country. This happens 36 times. It, it, it is interminable, but, uh, you know, the, the fatigue is part of the, is part of the experience is part of what makes it wonderful. So, uh, when the jury votes were done, what we saw this year was that Lorraine had, um, had a, a commanding lead over, 
all the other countries. She early on in like with, with two or three countries reporting their votes, she had a lead uh, where her the the points for her song Sweden had double the points of the second place uh, contender, and that that ratio, not even just her lead, that ratio maintained throughout the whole. Um, throughout the whole uh, reporting of the the jury vote so that she was uh, by the end 190 points ahead of her next competitor so so finland her next competitor was finland so finland had on the order of um uh 200 points and lorraine on the order of 400 points and that's um you know that's a hard uh that's a hard lead to beat but then the the televoting po- points are announced um, and sometimes songs, the, the idea is that the juries represent the point of view of the, the music industry. So it's more conservative. It's more insidery. It's more elitist. If you want to, you know, if you want to call it that and that the, the televoting points, um, maintain, uh, you know, contact with like, you know, popular, popular passions and, and, uh, you know, this sort of thing. So we got, um, we, we all thought, okay, can Cha 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 beat Tattoo, uh, Cha Cha Cha, the Finland song beat Tattoo, the, the Sweden song, um, based on, can it, can it pull ahead with the, the votes? Now, there were a couple of really good jumps. Uh, my boys let three, um, did not, uh, do well in the did not do well in the uh jury votes i i think the the professionals found their their act a little a little tiresome uh i i prefer to think that that it it showed them their own shame and uh that's why they didn't vote for it but they uh you know they really jumped into the top 10 they jumped into the top 10 with uh with the jury votes uh alessandra from norway uh with a song called queen of kings also not a huge jury vote getter but a huge popular favorite um a, a 20 year old young woman singer who has a uh you know big future as a pop star um the uh but then you know we get down we get down to um we get down to uh Karia from from Finland and uh Lorraine from from Sweden and uh Karia gets this immense vote total he he ties um for the second place of most televotes ever gotten most popular votes ever gotten in Eurovision uh the uh you know in, in the last 10 years and uh launches him you know it's incredible but then the very last uh the very last result uh announced that with with like something like half of his total in the the televotes lorraine pulls pulls ahead like edges out you know ed- edges out of a, a sort of victory in this uh in this contest and the um the industry approved much more conservative uh you know um blander choice uh is catapulted to victory against the uh you know against the, the like the popular favorite and how favorite well the the proceedings were interrupted um by the and th- this is a crowd right like this is a crowd that loves to love things this is not a booing crowd uh this is a crowd that like loves to be supportive of of things so it was 
astonishing that the proceedings, the show had to grind to a halt a couple times because the crowd were shouting, cha, 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 to the point, uh, where, uh, the, the, uh, amazing Hannah Waddingham could not continue her, uh, could not continue her, her, you know, presentation, her job emceeing this thing. She was just interrupted by the crowd, uh, by the crowd screaming so loud. So, you know, um, I, so I guess like, uh, what this, this, uh, sets the stage for an autocratic populist to take over Eurovision next year, given that, right? Like given that the elite more or less triumphed over the people in, uh, Eurovision 2023, what are the geopolitical implications, guys? Do you, is there anything that you feel that, uh, you know, this, this portends or, or that it means in the larger scheme of things. I don't know, Pete, maybe I could throw to you first. What do you think? So what does it mean? Uh, well, okay. So to look at it from the standpoint of America, we had our own version of Eurovision this past year. Was it even this year or last year, maybe called the American year, yeah. Song Contest. Yeah. And it was run yeah. by similar people, the same company that ran Eurovision overall ran it. And, but it was run domestically by iHeartRadio, right, by basically what you might know of as Clear Channel, uh, if you still remember who those folks are. And as a result, the acts that were picked were by and large very conservative. Now, the way the votes were structured, the act that won was the Oklahoma K-pop act. Uh, and it should have been the at least somewhere in, on the radar for favorite act during the entire show, but it wasn't. Uh, and these other these other ones that were more palatable to the what mission of Clear Channel, iArt Radio were focused on more or maybe fit the TV audience more. We speculated a lot. But the point was that the winner was very, very separate from the narrative that the show was telling uh, and um, and that it was reflected in the in the um, in the selection of the artists. So what I would suggest is that next year I would look very carefully at the selections of the artists. Does the, does the really bald faced, I mean, again, I don't want to blame, I'm, we're not going to blame Lorene for any of this. It's not her. She didn't do it. Lo- but Lorraine. Lorraine. Sorry. Lorraine. <laughs> Sorry, Lorraine Sorry, in Pete. Spain. I want... stays... Yeah, okay. In Morocco, just... actually, she's Berber. She is Berber. Um, yes, yeah. Exactly. But, <laughs> but like, uh, but but does this mean that you're going to see more conservative? Are we looking at a situation where acts like Cha Cha Cha, you know, or what is his name, Kirginia, Kiria, Kiria, Kiria? There's a J in there. But am I am I going to drag you? No, I'm going to carry you. Kiria, that Kiria and Lep Three and stuff. Are they going to end up just not showing up? Because they because honestly, the popular vote didn't matter at all. But more than that, I mean, more than that, looking at let three in particular, I feel like let three is some of the lesser acts are more telling about what's going on here than the uh, the more popular ones. Like uh, looking at let three, the fact that they were a top 10 act for the audience, but didn't even really rank among the juries at all suggests to me that the juries didn't think they can act like that should be in the contest. Right. It just it feels like. The juries just don't think that that's the same category of the thing that they're doing, because on the grounds of, you know, by the standard of what they were doing, what they they did a good job. Right. And they certainly the gap was so huge between what the crowd wanted and what the juries wanted. And and what that speaks to me is, well, then how are they going to reconcile the act selection? Like, that's the missing piece for me is, okay. well, who really does belong at Eurovision now? Uh, and, And at a certain point, you go over a tipping point and. 
people don't want to be in your fun thing anymore because you've, you know, you've kind of betrayed trust too many times. And I don't think this is necessarily it, but I would, I would, because Lorraine, Lorraine, of course, has a lot of respect. She, she definitely deserved to be in the top three, top two, uh, by popular measures. I think she was the number two vote getter, right? Um, so it's not like it was a crazy choice, but I, I would, I would look at what happens with the act selections next year. And I, and in particular, I would look and see, are the interesting acts from my perspective, right? The Chronicles of Riddick acts out there. Are they not showing up to the party because they don't feel like they're invited anymore? Like, it's like there's mathematically, there's no chance you could win with an act like that. If the jury literally thinks you shouldn't be in the contest, right? It's, it's, it's like showing up to a football tryout with a tennis racket. Like, like ten, you might love tennis and you might be really good at tennis, but if it's a football tryout, like you're embarrassing yourself. But, you know, so, so what's going on? What are they trying to do? I think is, is a big question. And it's a smaller, well, so this, is, yeah. this is, this is a complicated thing because the, the national selection shows are managed locally. They're not managed by the central right. organization. And one of the problems with the American song contest was that the, the state selections were managed by the central organization. Right. right? right. And so that is, you know, I, and, and it makes it a lot less interesting. It makes it a lot less fun. Like I'd rather that the people, you know, the people of Delaware vote on Delaware's Entry, you know, the people of Nebraska, the people of of Alabama, right? You know, the the people of Montana vote on what Montana sends to the American Song Contest. As it was, it was a centrally managed state by state competition where you submitted and you were competing against other people in your state, but you were competing in this, you know, in a competition run by the same, uh, the same organization doing every other state. So they were creating, um, a quote unquote balanced picture of, what you know what the american song contest entries wanted to to look like you know and yet you, you, that was actually really pronounced that the genres were really broad like the looks of the singers were really broad uh wh- you know whereas in in eurovision sometimes there are like three or four acts that that like for the life of me i can't tell apart you know and until i get to know them really well right like and and it allows more it allows more strangeness uh, at that, it allows more strangeness at that, at that level. I mean, where we, I, Sorry, which fun- one allows more strangeness? Eurovision, the, Eurovision allows more strangeness at that yeah, level yeah, yeah, because yeah, the, the, the entries are managed, are managed locally and you don't always know actually even what you're up against, right? Like, because the early people who, who decide, I think in like January, February, uh, February, um, you know, don't know what the other countries are going to, to send. And sometimes the, the local selections, the, the national selections are, are just completely autocratic, right? Like the, the national broadcaster chooses a, yeah. uh, chooses as an entry. And sometimes as in the case of, uh, of Sweden, uh, of Italy, you know, of countries with kind of a little more, uh, scaffolding around, uh, around this institutionally, there are like multi-day competitions in themselves. Um, yeah, uh, that 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 do that anyway, Pete. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to to interrupt. No, you, no, but no it, this, it is, kind, this is good stuff. It, it kind of bears on your points, I think. Yeah, I would like to point out the 2011 Eurovision song from Belarus, which was called "I Love Belarus." Yep. Oh, which might... all time banger, <laughs> all time banger, all time Belarusian banger, straight up propaganda from the, <laughs> from the mama Bel- bought Bel- mama Bel- bought a uh, an anastasia vinikova right 
But okay, so so the the here the other angle, another angle on it that that I think feels more natural to me is that from a game show perspective, you know, if if Eurovision, because people say the word reality contest for these sorts of things, it's a game show. It's Perfect. it's like Star yeah. Search was a game show. This is also a game show. From a game show perspective, you do you never want to have multiple rounds of scoring wherein the first round of scoring opens up an insurmountable lead with mm. no potential for comeback. Yes. You just don't want to do that, especially in a long broadcast. You want there to be some sort of comeback mechanic at the end of the contest so that people still feel invested in what's going on. And that's just good storytelling. You got to have an aggro crag, man, where like you get, if you manage to, someone else gets a bunch of styrofoam rocks thrown at their head, they might not get up to the top of the mountain, even with a big head start, right? Like uh, an aggro, only, yeah. an aggro crag. Yeah, from guts. Do 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 you have it, man? Do 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 you have it? Guts. That was another. That's guts is very similar to Eurovision in that it was just about the dreams of people from all over the world coming together in in, in, in neon blue and orange and and doing crazy spectacular shows on a colorful stage in front of a whole bunch of of misunderstanding tourists. Uh, but yes, guts was a a a sports entertainment show. Think of it like conceptually, how would you make American Gladiators into a children's television show? Uh, and the answer is you would replace all the violence with bungee cords. Yes. So instead of hitting each other, you would be strapped to something with a bungee cord. So it's like, can you shoot a basket on a 20-foot basketball hoop with a bungee cord attached to your waist? Everyone's worried. Bike helmets. Let's find out, right? Um, it was hosted by uh, comedian extraordinaire and uh, great uh, tertiary character from the movie Ar- uh uh, 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 R.I.P. Uh, <laughs> oh, rest in peace department, right? Um, R.I.P.D. Michael Malley. R.I.P.D., yes. Uh, Michael Malley, who plays the ghost of Fenway Park in R.I.P.D., as well as many other things. And then, of course, Mo, the ref, who I've been told was uh, something of a um, uh, of an awakening figure for many young lesbians of that era. But anyway, the point is that that guts is maybe a bad example, but as you accrue points over the course of the game, and at the end of the game, there's a race up a fake mountain, and your point differential is like a is a head start in the race, I believe. This is how it worked in American Gladiators with the Eliminator, where you would accrue points over the course of the games, the events, uh, and of course, probably gladiators as well before American Gladiators. And then this would all amount in a head start that you would get in the final event. Now, this is a I think these are very, very strong comeback mechanics. Mm. You would generally want there to be kind of weaker comeback mechanics or maybe more strategic comeback mechanics like Jeopardy, right? You have Final Jeopardy where if you have a runaway victory where you have more than double the next person and you wager nothing, you're going to win. But then it's like, well, will they really wager nothing? There is some incentive to 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 try to risk it. But and also runaway victories in Final Jeopardy are rare enough that most Jeopardy episodes are contested. Then you have Wheel of Fortune, which just has no rules and it just changes arbitrarily. <laughs> <laughs> and it it's is, just this guy, Pat it is Sajak, literally a Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> yes, Pat Sajak, who is the unhappiest game show host i've ever seen uh, this is like all right well better spin that looks like you're not going to bermuda sorry right like uh, go ahead vanna but no like um just presiding you, over his empire of entropy yeah um, yeah but <laughs> the point is that if the jury vote comes second then it should not be possible and it's because eurovision is so seldom to open if the jury vote comes first and the popular vote comes second or the televote comes second then, at least in the show, it should not be possible to open up such a big jury vote lead that the televote is meaningless. It is totally uh, – it is possible. It Because it's 50-50, it, 
it is always possible to come back. That is to say, if someone got 12 the maximum points from each country in the uh, jury vote, it is conceivably possible that tr- someone else could get 12 in the, the televote from each country. And then it would come down to like, what are, what were the, the sort of smaller, um, you know, uh, smaller increments like down the line. Yeah. Like it's, it is, it is conceivably possible. This, this year's result was uh, really unprecedented. Um, yeah, right. Except for last year, <laughs> except for last <laughs> year, is it a trend? Because if it's a trend, no, then it's, it's going not, in the direction with, of the game with, being broken. With right? last year, it's not a trend. Um, last year, oh, yeah, you, that's right. <laughs> last year, Ukraine won in a landslide with right. the most. Uh, and you know, their song was good. It was a song called "Stefania" by a, an outfit called Kalush Orchestra. Um, it was an uh, like it was something Eurovision likes. It like combined uh, folk music, like Ukrainian folk music with a rap and it had a like a cultural thing i think it was about someone's grandmother right like it was you know it had a it it was the sort of thing that that is not it wasn't just a gimme um but there was a lot of you know solidarity voting with ukraine and they they got the like the largest popular vote total uh ever in the history of the contest and they and but the the contest this year you know because they're busy getting bombed um they actually can't host an international uh tourist (laughs) event (laughs) right now you know, so uh, it was hosted by the second place winner, uh, the UK. It was hosted in Liverpool, um, but there, but everyone was at pains uh, to to kind of like acknowledge the the Ukrainians and acknowledge the place that that it should have been held. And and the the contest is stringently non political, so all all you can really say is like uh, we are all united by music, and I think we all can agree that war is bad. <laughs> You know, right. uh, the, the subtext of we are all in the event music is we're all in, united against Russia. Yeah. Uh, well, and yeah, and Russia was was Russia was kicked out, actually, but, but for for invading another yep. for invading another competitor. But it was like I my they response don't always kick out competitors who invade other competitors. Isn't like that's the time that Russia like invaded in the contest. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, <laughs> the time like that time Russia annexed Crimea and yeah, also that, the time that Russia invaded Georgia. And yeah, yeah, yeah no, 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 that too, was a, yeah. that, and the, after, uh, Russia annexed Crimea, the song that they sent the next year was pray for peace and healing. I hope that we can start again. <laughs> oh my God. It was a song oh, that, that it, happened. Yep. Yeah. It was a song. Yeah. Uh, it was like called shine your light. I know. I know. Shine your light was from, from. Uh, San Marino or something, but like, uh, uh, it was something, yeah, it was something so cynical. It was ter- it just like, uh, it was terrible, but like, yeah. And, and the Ukrainians were, were there, they were out in force, like, uh, partying at, in Liverpool at this, this thing. And they they were always cutting away to this, you know, uh, whole section of Ukrainians in, in the arena. But then I thought like, these are refugees. These are like displaced persons. <laughs> You know, they're, they're like, uh, and I, I found the whole thing really like deeply, deeply sad and, and like very affecting, obviously, like, like, uh, very moving. But yes, um, so I, I don't think these last- they're having their voice silenced by this elite minority of the jury <laughs> vote who overrode the will of the people. What I a crime against humanity. I don't want um, to, um, I mean, so, but I, I, so I don't want to call the last, the last two years a trend. I think that last year was sui generis and that this year is, uh, this year is, if it happens again, uh, it's a trend. 
Um, but that like, uh, this year it was just, it's unprecedented to have to, to allow to, to, for one act to get this, this much of the, of the popular vote. Like, you know, Lorraine's, Lorraine's landslide victory, um, the last time she competed in one was, uh, with a smaller, a significantly smaller, like 80% uh, of the popular vote that she got in this particular thing. My God, how do I know all these facts? Belinky has poisoned my mind. His poison. Why? I'm like, I'm like a baseball. Are you a saber matrician I'm now? like, yeah, exactly, man. Like this is not. Uh... So uh, the, here, let me just acquaint you with the conspiracy theory. Please. The conspiracy theory is this. Next year is the 50th anniversary of the Eurovision victory of a little indie band called ABBA, uh, who, <laughs> like, uh, who won, won the contest. Like, uh, it actually, a surprising number of people won the contest. Celine Dion competed in the, in the contest a while back, but like, uh, 50 years ago, ABBA won. Now, ABBA, have not participated in any Eurovision thing since, right? Like they, they became world dominant, you know, famous, you know, maybe the most famous pop act of all time. And, uh, an argument could be made, I guess. And they, um, have not come back to reunited to come back to, to Eurovision. So the thinking is that the fix was in. You know, that the, the, this was all, uh, rigged so that, and I mean, when I say the thinking, I mean, like, you know, the odd comment on Reddit has suggested that, you know, that this is what, what was happening, that they want to bring the contest to Sweden in the 50th year anniversary of ABBA's victory and that this would be a fitting, uh, venue for Abbott to reunite and to, to perform again. Um, that's the conspiracy theory. I mean, that, that would be the motivation for rigging the vote in this particular way. I, I don't think you need that though, right? Like, uh, I, I think like most conspiracies, um, uh, like, uh, uh, the historian Howard Zinn, the, the socialist historian Howard Zinn used to, used to say something in, you know, when he would speak publicly, which is that like, you don't need a conspiracy to achieve these results. All you need is the proper functioning of these broken institutions. Right. And, yeah. and these results will come about, right? Because the, the people don't need to, they don't need to collaborate in order to to you know br- bring about a result that perpetuates the status quo, and that that's how I feel about it. I think that the the conspiracy theories are a little overbaked. I mean, yeah, like if you look at like many many phenomena over the last few years, where, like people get big mad over um, the outcomes that a very large institution produces, um, and. Um, you know, they will point to various conspiracies. I was going to put up FIFA and the wording of the World Cup to cutter. Um, I mean, like, that's not, I guess that's not not a conspiracy because it's like a very small cabal of people <laughs> producing an unpopular outcome. Um, but uh, um, this is not quite a conspiracy yeah, with, with like, like reasonably well documented payola. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Um, but like when thinking about uh, the the dissatisfaction, you know, over how this kind of monopoly player 
is uh, conducting itself and, and producing an outcome that people don't like and, you know, I'm going to point for shady stuff going on. Oddly enough, I am thinking of video games uh, in 2022, 2023, specifically like PC games um, that come out and are like kind of half-baked. Um, a lot of bugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and if again, if you spend a lot of time on Reddit, you will see people like accuse, like bring out the wildest crap that comes out there and um, it kind of comes boiling down to, well, like, you know, uh, publishers of games aren't being held account for their behavior because people keep paying the money and particularly they pre-order. So, uh, you know, so that money is secured before um, anybody's had a chance to see reviews um, or learn about how buggy the game is going to be. And um, look, like there's a conspiracy aspect to this as well too, but I think the, the broader point, uh, connecting it back, is like you know, well, you know, a, a, a institution that has locked in um, a near monopoly position on anything has very little incentive to change what's going on. So, like, I'm thinking about like, what is is there like this tipping point to Matt what you're saying earlier, where like people are saying that they're not going to show up, like the let threes of the world are going to like you know I'm going to take my ball and go home rather than participate in this. Like that threshold is still like quite a ways away i would imagine based on yeah. uh what i gather of the of the, of the eurovision discourse would you agree pete oh yeah sure sure i mean i think but it, but this kind of decision that seems to me like the direction that it would point in but i mean eurovision is also famous for letting really weird things win sometimes you know we're not even weird and i don't want to diminish them but things that would never win any other kind of song contest you know, the crazy heavy metal bands and just that letting the folk singers perform alongside the NSYNC ripoffs. Like, it's not the kind of thing you see in a lot of other places. So it's already pretty good, you know, in the direction of giving space, right, uh, to these sorts of things. It's just a question of of what's the role of the jury and the establishment in terms of what direction they want this to go in, I guess. I mean, hey, look. Can I frame this another way? Can I Please. try to frame this another can, way? Can I frame it another way? Can I what? frame it another way? Can I frame it another way? What? And I, and I love the comparison to video games because I think it's apt as well. What if we talked about two other countries, right? What if we talked about the old extremistan and mediocristan countries uh, of, mm. uh, of of Black Swan fame? The the idea being these are these are of course uh, Nicholas Nasir. You know, I always forget whether it's Nasim or Nasir. It's Nasim Taleb. Nasim uh, Taleb, yeah. Now seems to yeah, right. He has the um, and I don't agree with everything the guy's ever said, but I don't think his theory would not support me doing that anyway. But the the idea here is that you should make a distinction when you're thinking about things that you can't predict between you know known the known sort of normally distributed randomness and unknown randomness that's unbounded, and you don't know you know where. You know, there probably isn't a bell curve. You don't really know what direction it goes in. There's lots of fractals, lots of feedback loops. You know, all sorts of crazy random things can happen. Asymmetrical outcomes that are very unlikely but have such a huge uh, effect that they throw off the average expected value of all sorts of random things. The, the This boils down to several key concepts. And one of the concepts is that most things, like activities that you can be involved in, things that can happen, uh, reside nowadays, right, in either – and a, a place where the randomness that's associated with them is bounded or where the randomness associated with them is unbounded. Hmm. And by bounded, I mean like reasonably expected to fall in a normal distribution. Right. And um, and so you should know which of these things you're involved in, because the less constrained the randomness is, 
the more likely you are to get a more extreme outcome. Right now, that might necessarily mean that the extreme outcome is more likely Then it might necessarily mean that the extreme outcome is necessarily more extreme. But it's one of those two things. Uh, right. Like there, there is a bigger chance that something is just going to go off the charts if your randomness is unconstrained. And if your randomness is constrained, then there's a much lower chance that anything's going to go off the charts, uh, either for good or for bad. And so um, the example, one of the examples he gives is dentistry. Right. Like if you would pick any job and you would want to live in mediocristan, you would pick being a dentist because it's hard to conceive of a world in which dentists aren't cleaning teeth and making money cleaning teeth. You know, like it's hmm. it's the kind of thing where people are going to have to keep paying for it. Um, and, and, and yet at the same time, there's only so many teeth you can clean. Right? And, and so, and of course, you might maybe you're making the dentist robots and you're screwing that up. What I'm getting to here is that audiences and publishing interests or broadcasting interests as regards music, have been headed in very different directions with regards to risk and randomness. And there, and and this is like since Napster, and this is my my sort of conjecture here, right? Is that since Napster, since you know the control of physical media has ceased to be the you know the the definitive fact of the distribution and listening of music, mm-hmm. right? Um, music has gone in two directions where the 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 people in charge of publishing it and producing it and putting it out there in in a cor- an incorporated institutional way are less and less uh, okay with risk because they are producing fewer and fewer groups right they they are expecting lower and lower returns from it and and it's mostly like it just feels like they just can't afford to let anything be really really bad that they've invested a lot of money in you know and uh, it just it just can't be they would be ruined right so like they got to get something out of everything. And and the trade-off to that is that you're not often surprised, right? So I guess a more material way to describe it is like, you know, more A&R people raises the level of uh, or reduces the constraint on the randomness that you might encounter and thus increases the magnitude of your outcomes. If you have A&R people in every bar up and down the, you know, uh, Croatia and Slovenia and, you know, and Serbia and and the whole former Yugoslavia, then like and you see every group, your randomness as to what sort of show you might see is much less bounded than if you don't have any A&R and you go strictly off of like the people that you know or what you read about in the trades or like whatever, you know, whatever's already surfaces on your feed that you already see. Right. Um, you, you lose the capacity to yourself be connected to the unbounded randomness, whereas the people, of course, through the many to many associations on social media have much, much larger access, right? Whether social media, whether, you know, SoundCloud as a social media platform, all that stuff, they have access to tons of unbounded randomness in the nature and quality of the music that they listen to. Um, and as such, you would expect the most popular music mm-hmm. to be highly unexpected because you expect that there would be extreme random outcomes in a in a in a domain in which there is unbounded randomness not that necessarily like all the time on average the most popular music would be uh would be crazy but rather you would expect there to periodically be like very crazy by your current standards very popular music like people will latch onto things and 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 move through and the trends will work in ways you don't understand and so if you have a situation where the distributors and publishers are attempting to align with the public by kind of but at the same time the public is constrained because they don't have ANR people all over the place, right? And so the industry tries to sort of put feelers out there and be the ears of the public and then tries to bring in what they hear, 
and then reflect that to the public, you could have like some reasonable alignment and you get like some punctuated changes, some interesting surprises, right? Like, uh, you know, I think you could get some, some, some more big shocks, you know, like, oh, this random guy sent a, you know, a demo tape, you know, uh, of him recording a bunch of lyrics about homeless people to another band that was in Seattle. And like all of a sudden they're being played in Boston 10 years later at every bar you ever go to. <laughs> right? like, like, like I'm not saying that the, Walk the industry is this world running to the third. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I could have heard your voice one last time. Pina coladas. Pina coladas. But wait, Pete, this, this, what you describe is actually the situation that we observe, right? That's what I'm talking the about. Second, like, yeah. The second thing with the, the sort of occasionally punctuated equilibrium and like, you know, occasionally you get one out of left field and, and all of this. This is, this is the situation as it actually exists. Yes. The idea that like, especially in the American Song Contest with the Oklahoma K-pop act, where it was like, oh, a million people love her. What? <laughs> like, I've never heard of this person before. Where did that come from? Why is she not in the show? What's going on? I don't understand what just happened, right? Like, but especially, but especially with Eurovision this year, it's like you would not have predicted that this guy out of Finland specifically was going to be the big deal. Um, it would have been very hard to predict. And it would have been a risk that the industry would not have been comfortable taking without some reinforcement ahead of time that like this was at least within the bounds of being you know willing to spend money on him um but but you would expect i think over time you would expect there to be more outcomes of eurovisions uh where there's a bigger gap between the jury and the public although i I mean of course in the past there was no jury for a while it's not like eurovision never changes and there was of course differences between the jury and the public before but those were on purpose because the jury were kind of being jerks uh, I, guess, I guess the jury can always be different from the public if they want. <laughs> like, uh, I don't want to be say be jerks. I'm being dem- democratic. Uh, I apologize. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I would expect in both the situation where the AAA game studio is delivering a mediocre MVP that doesn't really work, which isn't even really <laughs> an MVP, um, because they can't afford to put all the money into finishing the game and have it be bad or have it fail. Right? They can't finish the game and publish it. And then have it fail. They have to. They are. They have to half publish the game and see how it goes, and then make it better. And the idea there is, I think you're to an extent limiting your downside by not investing a whole bunch of stuff in things that the audience doesn't want or that doesn't work. Um, but of course, you also create all this ill will and lack of trust, and all this other stuff. Uh, but yeah, with Eurovision, I think it's it's there's a question of whether it's going to be similar, where you're going to continue to see acts catch a sort of viral wave. Uh, and and just be totally left field relative to where the the jury is. And again, think of let three not even on the radar for the jury. Top ten from Croatia, yeah. right? You know, like uh, that's the bigger example for me even than Cha 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 is like people found this other thing and they and they went after it. Sure, and and it's I, not. I mean, found the more the more dramatic you know? version of that is is the young woman named Alessandra uh, Alessandra Mele from. Um, 
a, a uh, from Norway, a Norwegian of of Italian mm. extraction, I think, who who sang the song "Queen of Kings," which is kind of an undistinguished pop song i mean it's a little laughable but like she she like did it super gamely and uh had a you know an incredible popular vote result and a not uh you know and the jury's j- just overlooked her because the song is a little bit bleh. um it's you know it's not the it's not the sort of it's not this sort of thing and it you know it's interesting like the 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 eurovision song contest is an old media thing and it is like it's a very it it is kind of like the the standard observation, the standard Fenzelian take on the Oscars, right? Like, uh, it, which the Oscars is a, a television show of a stage play about films, right? And that's um, uh, that's what kind of what's going on here, right? Like, it's a television show of a live performance about music, you know, uh, and, and really not even about the live performance of music. Cause we know these songs more or less through Spotify and through YouTube, like, and through, through playlists and things like this. And like, I, I relate to Eurovision songs more as their YouTube representations than I even do as their live performance, uh, representations. So it's, it's sort of an interesting thing. And that, that, that like, um, what, what you kind of have, you have a kind of, a. a call it generational or call it technological, but like a change in, in how these kind of media are produced and consumed and then how it, um, you know, the, the, the institutions not necessarily really being on the ball in terms of catching up with, with, uh, with how it is. And you overlay that on top of the, the dynamic, the, the black swanish dynamic that, that Pete is describing. And that's, um, you know, a recipe for, uh, uh, recipe for a hell of a fabulous Eurovision grand final. I think we have to leave it there, guys. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Uh, f- for, uh, you know, all of you non Eurovision fans, I hope this is, you know, converted at least a few of you uh pete thanks very much mark thanks very much for uh podcasting with me uh hey guys I- i'm sorry to spring this on you but uh i'm going on my honeymoon wait what <laughs> i'm uh yes uh d- you know real the real heads will know that i am recently married um we uh considered we got married in in late october we considered places in the world and there there are many wonderful ones where we could have gone for uh you know a, a warm beach vacation in um in uh you know november but uh we decided to to hold out for europe uh not after eurovision you know it would have been too crazy in europe during eurovision too crazy finland and sweden are going to do to each other (laughs) (laughs) um so we're headed uh i'm headed uh headed away i'm gonna miss the next three episodes but uh these guys uh are uh holding on the fort uh and uh other uh other overthinkers might might join them for for many things i'm uh, the thing i most regret Guys, is that I'm going to miss the premiere of Fast X. So, uh, I wish you, uh, I wish you life. Uh, I wish you, I wish you a a wonderful life one quarter mile at a time. I'm going to be going, uh, you know, 6,000 miles at a time though. So, uh, I'll be uh, on the other side, uh, on the other side of the world. Um, so, uh, hey, I'll see you, see you in a few. It's been, it's been, it's been real overthinking a podcast. I'll be back in a month. And, uh, and uh, Pete and Mark, thanks very much for holding down the fort in my absence. I really appreciate you. And, uh, I can't wait to listen to the show as an audience member. I will really, I will really enjoy that. Well, congratulations on marrying for love, man. <laughs> yeah, I thought absolutely. you were just doing it for the taxes. It was. <laughs> It's not. Uh, oh, we love her. She's great. But the 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 taxes are not nothing. That's uh, you know that's my 
This is my observation from this year. All right. Um, we'll be back next week. Well, not not we. Who's we? Not me. We will be back they'll, next week. They'll we. be back next we. week with more Overthinking It podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve. Matt, I think you meant to say you're going to be living life uh, about 0.4 kilometers at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Royale with cheese. (laughs) Yeah, there you go.